PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites. Archive, distribute, and display your photos in a flash-free, responsive website. Try one for free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com. Get our latest educational guides for free. PhotoShelter.com slash resources. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Alan Murabayashi broadcasting live from New York, the headquarters of PhotoShelter.com, the leader in photography websites. You are listening to episode 55 of the I Love Photography podcast. You might be watching us on YouTube at YouTube.com slash PhotoShelter, where you can see uh, all the pictures that we're looking at today. Or you might be listening to the podcast by going to iTunes and searching for I Love Photography, whatever you're doing and where, however you're getting to us, we're glad to have you here. Today's kind of a special uh, episode, a start of a new era, if you will, because uh, <laughs> my, my old co-host, Sarah Jacobs, took a job over at the Business Insider. So we have a new co-host, a great photographer and a recent SVA graduate, Fernando Gomez. Hey, Fernando, welcome. How's it going? Hi. Good. Tell us a little bit about uh, the photography that you do and the, and the stuff that you, you're into. Um, I'm into mostly street photography, and I have been since I started started doing it at 13 in uh, in Switzerland when I got my first camera. I'm originally from Brazil, but I was living in Europe for a, a while. And then my biggest influence at that time was Cartier-Bresson. And just as a street photographer, that's just the one guy you always look up to. And so I started photographing trying to emulate what he did, and then I fell in love with the medium, moved to New York to study photography, and it's just been a trip. It's been great, and uh, I shoot on the street every day. I have my camera with me at all times, even now, for some reason. Oh, hey. <laughs> what kind of camera are you using there? I shoot with a Ricoh GRD. Uh-huh, uh -huh. yes. Uh, I shoot everything with it. My whole life is on there. You know, we don't really talk about gear that much because, you know, we're just not the type of show. But yeah, I, I went to the Leica store in Soho last week to look uh -huh. at that new Leica Q camera. I don't know if you've seen uh -huh. that full frame, six twenty-eight millimeter. That's that's one nice piece of machinery there. I'll tell you that much. Did you test it out? I, you know, I lifted it up and I yeah. and, and I pressed the button and I looked at the electronic <laughs> viewfinder and uh -huh. it, it's all good for forty two hundred dollars. <laughs> well, there you go. That's yeah, all you need to know. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about some photography. Let's do it. Uh, it's been a while since we've done the show because I was, you know, I was in mourning over uh, uh, Sarah leaving, but but now we have a new era and let's start <laughs> with this. This has been in the news uh, for some time and it's all about. Uh, concert photography and how Taylor Swift, um, she was in the news recently because she battled Apple over iTunes streaming, the, the new service that they came out, and mm -hmm. how Apple wasn't going to pay artists for the first three months. Uh, and then she was called out by a UK photographer, Jason Selden, who said, uh, okay, well, that's all good and well, and, and, and I support the rights of artists as well, but you should support the, the rights of photographers by not having these total rights grab contracts and they had a little bit of back and forth and then the other day on the PDN blog uh, there was a Norwegian photographer named Jarl Moe who said well in Norway we just don't sign the contracts we are we are unionized and we just don't sign the contracts so it's a non-issue so why don't you why don't you UK and US photographers and everyone else in the world just get your act together and mm -hmm. refuse to sign it now you talk to Todd O'Young, who's uh, works in our office and is a big concert photographer, yeah. about this topic. What did he have to say about it? Um, he was very on the fence about it as well. I think it's a it's a weird gray area where you can understand 
the artist, I mean the musician, wanting to protect their own image because after all there are artists and they are performing and it's often a paid event. But at the same time you have the artist behind the camera who wants to get his image out there, who wants to build his brand. So it's a weird little spot where we're in where we don't know whether we want to be able to shoot these without any repercussions or if you want to sign these contracts which are incredibly restrictive and just take all your photos for for what they're worth and it's just a weird area where he doesn't even know where he stands on it fully um, yeah you know Todd and his brother Chris they, they're often hired by bands specifically mm -hmm. to be kind of the, the the official photographer and I certainly can understand in that scenario where you have backstage access and you have very intimate access to the art uh, the artists and they're paying you uh, a lot of money to shoot this kind of behind the scenes stuff they they you're hired to uh, photograph their image and they want to control their image mm -hmm. the PDN article with the Norwegian guy kind of said we we see ourselves as journalists and that's a yeah. situation that I think is a little weird when you're hired by a newspaper as a stringer to cover something and you're doing it quote journalistically to, to document the fact that Taylor Swift was in your country, mm -hmm. that's weird to do a rights grab. Yeah, yeah and, and that's that why a lot of the, the papers were, were, were protesting because they need to be able to run that photo of Taylor Swift the next mm -hmm. time she's in the news. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, that's, I think, I think with that, what, uh, what you were saying about if the artist hires their own photographer and gives them all access and lets them do whatever they want, then it's a situation where it does make sense for them to have the rights to the photos and to be able to to curate what goes out and what doesn't go out because they want they don't want to have one of those Beyonce photography disasters right. from a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. But then yeah, if no, you're on totally. the, yeah. But if you're on the wire, it's it's a different situation because you are a publication who is documenting an event that's happening. Such a, you know, the one thing I'm sure will never happen is photographers are never going to unite in the U.S. on a single issue. <laughs> never. That's just never going to happen. <laughs> Not even in the comments sections, they don't unite, so I don't think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, it's all well and good. Uh, thanks to uh, Jarl Mo for his feedback from Norway, but I'm just not going to fly in the United States of America. Uh, over on Bag News, uh, there was an interesting article written by the editor-in-chief, Meg Handler, about... Uh, one of our perennial topics that we love to talk about, <laughs> Humans of New York and Brandon Stanton. Now, you know, I've, I've been very critical of Brandon in the past, not because of, well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't think his photography is all that. And, and, and to be honest, like, I think most professional photographers agree with that. Not that I'm a professional photographer, but I'm an observer of, of professional photography. And his portraits are, you know, it's like I slapped a 50 millimeter lens on that, that has a shallow depth of field and I took a photo and mm -hmm. it's just not that artfully composed, et cetera. And then the other thing that he had on this particular post, it's a photo of a little boy crying on the steps of what looks to be like a pretty nice brownstone. Yeah. Uh, and the quote is, uh, and it's just one sentence, I'm homosexual and I'm afraid about what my future will be and that people won't like me. And he looks to be less than 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, and Meg Handler over uh, on Bag News wrote, what the heck? What's the context for this quote? I know he doesn't consider himself to be a journalist, but there is some journalistic integrity that has to be put here because it's a child. You know, where were the parents? What was the context of the quote? Did he blurt it out or did you uh, kind of, uh, you know, massage it out of him to, to, 
to to get him to say something. Was he crying when you when you went by, or what? Did the discussion create the crying, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and you know, I had to agree with a lot of it. She mm -hmm. she wrote some things about how you know the flower was sensual in the background, which I think is a reach, a reach, a little bit of a creative interpretation there. Yeah. But I do think that you know, uh, as I pointed out, Stan's got. 13 million followers on Facebook, which exceeds the population of New York City. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of responsibility here that he's got to take. And my big thing is, I don't care if the kid's gay or not, but how does a kid know their sexual identity before they even hit puberty? It's one thing to have a gender identification to be yeah. like, I'm five, I'm a boy, but I feel like a girl. Like that to me is like, okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But something sexual before they've reached puberty seems very, very weird to me. And I just wonder about, you know, it, it, with all this SEO stuff, 10 years, 20 years from now, when I type in gay schoolboy, is this the kid that's going to come up? And what if he's straight at that point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my issue with him. He, with not the gay schoolboy, but with Honey, um, he just, he goes out for the that quote, that little sentence that will, draw the people to the photo and draw them to hit like and draw them to buy his book without giving us any context of how the photo was taken, the conversation that he had beforehand. And this is this is a, a very big example of that, but he's done it so much so much before, like when he just straight up straight up just asks them, what is the saddest moment of your life? Right. And journalistically, I, photographically, I, I just don't think that's the way to handle these kinds of interactions and then snap a photo while they say that they, they're not moving in any direction or that their father died when they were two or, you know, things like that that are, it lacks a bit of responsibility on his part to then put that out to, like you said, 13 million followers. He, he is a bit of sort of the accidental photographer in a way, right? He started this in 2010. He had moved to the city. He didn't have a job. And he said, I'm going to try to document every New Yorker, hence humans in New York. And I don't think he could have anticipated the sort of success. Um, and, and I have to say, I mean, every once in a while, you'll come across one that moves you personally for whatever reason. And so I get that. I'll call it a formula, but I don't think he's mm -hmm. like, I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think that uh, as his influences increase, he's got to have a little bit more responsibility about what he's doing. Um, and as I said, in my editorial, maybe it's time after five years to sort of change their approach, the way that he's going about it. Yeah. Because, I mean, he was even hired by the UN and he went to yeah. a bunch of countries in Africa and he kind of approached it the same way, which I think even then that's, that accentuates how wrong it is to go somewhere completely new and but use your whole, the same approach to get that quote, to get the, the Western population who are on their iPads scrolling through it to just like it immediately. and Right. And what does even mean that? Like what, what we, we look at things, we like articles we haven't read. We like pictures yeah. we barely had time mm -hmm. to assimilate. Uh, you know, besides Honey, the other perennial topic that we love to talk about is Instagram. <laughs> and uh, this week is no different. Mm -hmm. uh, here is an article um, about how the Lowe's hotel chain used in their advertising actual customer Instagram photos. So because there's geo tagging and whatnot, they went into these different locations, they found photos that they liked, they contacted the photographers, and they actually used it in the chain's new Travel for Real ad campaign. 
so here we go a uh, guy on a on a banjo um hmm. and then yeah the logos and the hashtags mm -hmm. uh they do give him a little uh, instagram uh name shout out there yeah uh what are your thoughts on these i think it's I think it's great, but I think it's also it's not. I think in that article she mentioned, or the writer mentions it being uh, groundbreaking or innovative, but it's not that by any means. I mean, um, Apple has been doing that with their iPhone shot on an iPhone six ads that you see all over the city. Yep. And I mean, they they're doing it right. You know, people are more attracted because what they consume all day are Instagram images. There's, I think. There's over like 300 million people using Instagram now, mm -hmm. so it makes sense to target ads using that platform, and it's it's easier for them because they don't have to do any of their work. They don't have to hire photographers or stylists or uh, lighting equipment or any of that. They can just use their own feed, in, you know, in the in the geotagged locations. Well, I'm going to sound like the crotchety old man, but my yeah. my problem with this ad campaign is that the photo quality isn't good and maybe that's you know maybe they're going for that they want it to be sort of not perfect but you know we're looking at this photo of the guy in the banjo it's poor lighting uh, it's got a color cast to it it's grainy how, how is this aspirational for anyone like to me this doesn't make me want to go stay in the hotel I think it just—it's more relatable. It's more, you know, personal. It, it puts you into that place because you're used to seeing this kind of like, crappy quality images. Even though Instagram recently said that they're gonna push the quality to 1080. Yeah. Um, but it's just what we consume. So it—it's—it's—it's it's, it's so targeted. You know, it's all—it's marketing. It—it's a ploy and it works. It's easily—it's a—it's an easy way to get people to. You know, um, use the hashtag and yeah, and then it drives incentives for them people in the hotel to use that hashtag and try to get their photos on on their uh, ad campaigns. I totally get that, and I totally respect uh, that Lowe's wants to do this. Uh, I'm not going to stay at a Lowe's hotel. <laughs> this is this is not resonant with me. <laughs> but I don't but, want a guy playing a banjo in the room next to me <laughs> in crappy light. But at least they give you the Instagram, <laughs> the Instagram tag, which the Apple ads don't do. They just give a first name. Yes, a, yes. Yeah. Apple's weird about that, only putting first name and last initial. Last I, initial. I, don't I don't quite understand, understand that. Uh, here's another article on Wired about how Instagram is transforming professional cooking and mm -hmm. how potent food photography has become to attracting uh, new people to your restaurant, especially when you have a hot dish that people are talking about. Um, and, you know, you look at some of these photos uh, that are in this article, and I'm sure, you know, everyone follows at least one or two people that love to photograph food or restaurants and whatnot. Mm -hmm. it, it, this is, now, this to me is effective, but I, you know, I love to eat. So <laughs> I love to eat more than I love to stay in hotels. Uh -huh. um, and I follow a bunch of food bloggers and I follow a bunch of uh, restaurants and people in the, in the, as we like to call the F&B, the food and beverage industry. Right. Uh, and I love seeing this stuff. Mm -hmm. This is fantastic stuff. Uh, and in a lot of cases, I, you know, I know uh, we did a piece on uh, Evan Sung, a food photographer here in New York City who uh, photographed for a Terra restaurant down in Tribeca. Um, and 
he just made this stuff look so beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful food, it's delicious food, and he made it look as appealing uh, as possible. Um, so this is the type of uh, Instagram stuff that I, that I would want to see. Yeah. Um, I think that out of everything that Instagram has, in all the ways that it has changed photography and different industries, this is definitely one of the bigger ways, especially that this is like the socially acceptable version of um, picture menus. You know, something that you yeah. usually associate with like crappy Chinese takeout places and like TGI Fridays or something. Which, right. <laughs> which are a great picture menus I've always thought were a great idea, but always terribly executed. You know, you want to see what your, picture, your food is going to look like before you order. It helps you just, like, figure out what you want. And this it, is, it is a funny, um, it is a funny world where you know we go into the restaurant and and the way you know the graphic design of the menu, yeah, and all the weird words that they use to describe foods and funny names as mm -hmm. if we know what they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's a small percentage of people who know what everything on the menu is, but you're like, what the heck is this? Right, right. And I mean, it's free publicity for the restaurants and for the chefs, and it kind of incentivizes you know better looking plates. I guess, or more interesting looking food. Absolutely. Uh -huh. I, I just wonder whether they're going to cater now to making sure that the food is photogenic versus <laughs> the food being delicious. I hope so, that's not the case. Knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, ESPN released its annual body issue, which is, our, you know, it's their version of the, of the SI swimsuit issue. Um, and there's always really interesting photos in here. Yeah. Uh, for example, up here in the upper right corner, uh, an American shot putter who is not the typical athletic body that you'd think because she is huge. And I don't mean that in an obese way. She is a massive person with huge muscles mm -hmm. in order to move that uh, shot put. Or yeah. it's not a, it's a hammer throw. Um, some great images in here. The one that I like the most, and I'm trying to see if I can find it. Mm -hmm. It was actually these. The uh, Art Streber <laughs> took photos of three of the Indianapolis Colts offensive linemen. So they're all six something and 300 pounds. And I just think that the way that he photographed it um, was less heroic than the typical image mm -hmm. out of the ESPN uh, the, uh, issue. There's still great photos, but they're... The, the lighting is hard, but it's on seamless and it's slightly funny. Mm -hmm. It's got some humor to it. it. It just resonated with me after, you know, so many years of seeing kind of the same, the same beautiful athlete <laughs> photo that's been typical of this issue. Right. It's actually my first encounter with this issue. I, hadn't, ah. I, did, I didn't know they did it before. So it was really interesting to look at it. And, I mean, comparing it to the S, uh, SI swimsuit issue is... I don't know about that. The swimsuit issue is ludicrous. Um, yes, yes. But this, I don't know, I really, I think these are some fantastic photos and they, they're shot, you know, in an equal way. Men and women look, are shot the same. There's no, you know, uh, sexualization of either of them. Um, yeah. And they're just really great photos. I personally like the one of Natalie uh, Coughlin, Colin, mm -hmm. uh, where yep. she's swimming. Yep. where she looks like she's part of the water, but you can still see the tan line from the swimsuit um, that, she, you know, that she uses when she races. And I think it's just beautifully shot, and it gives you a look into the different body types in the, in the sports world and everything that they do 
but then it also gives you the fun side like you were showing with those photos. Uh, it, it always reminds me because of the body type comment, you know, you see, we, we're, we're so accustomed to seeing uh, one type of body, you know, in the health magazines and whatnot. And we think that's what athletes actually look like, but that's actually what models look like. Right. This reminds me of Howard Schatz's work. Um, he had a book called mm -hmm. Athlete and he photographed all these different types, you know, sumo wrestler to gymnast to basketball player. And you realize how specialized the bodies get to be able to do certain tasks. Yeah. Um, and I, I've always found this issue to be very interesting. You know, I think when they first did this, Fernando, they used a single photographer. Mm -hmm. And then in the past three or four years, they finally said, you know, we can't, the cost is ludicrous. Plus, we get this incredible diversity if we use different photographers around the country and around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I love it. I love seeing the different looks and the different ideas that the photographers bring to the table. It's a really, really uh, inspiring uh, issue. Definitely. Speaking yeah. of bodies. Speaking of them. Here is an uh, exhibition that's actually ended now. Um, but uh, this is a story on Vice in the ID uh, subsection uh, entitled, Can We Photograph the Female Body Differently? And there are two women, uh, Simone Steenberg and Lolo Bates, uh, masters of photography students who are fed up with the way that fashion represents the female body as passive, weak, and superficial. Obviously not the case with the ESPN body issue, mm -hmm. uh, but they curated a show of just different ways of photographing uh, what are primarily nudes. Um, and I, I, I love it. I, I think that they're very graphic images and they're beautiful images in a very non-traditional way. Mm -hmm. uh, and the photographers aren't necessarily all women they're men and women and they're f just doing their own thing yeah they are and I think it's a it's a much much needed discussion um, you know in art school that would be a comment that would always come up whenever somebody brought in a photo like nude photographs of women because inherently we have been fed images that cater to the male gaze and that's something mm -hmm. that has to change because the ma the target audience should not be the straight white male that it's been for the past you know hundred years or since the advent of photography. It's, when it's, you were at SVA, did you have a lot of a lot of these sort of intellectual discussions around what is photography and sexualization photography, et cetera? Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I mean, we'd have weekly critique sessions where everybody brought in their work to class and you put it up on the wall and you just went around talking about each one, and then whenever somebody brought in, I mean, whenever somebody brought in any photo, you would have to look deeper into it, and especially when they brought in photographs of women, and nude women mm -hmm. specifically, and if it was a, a, a male photographing it, then the discussion would arise even more so. Right, right. And I think that it's, uh. it, was really, it was always really interesting, and it always definitely opened a lot of minds, and it, it showed you what you could do differently, and this is a great uh, exhibition, or it was a great exhi exhibition. Yeah, I would have loved to see this in, in, in person just to see uh, the diversity of images that are coming mm -hmm. uh, along there. Uh, a great little piece on the photo blog over at Slate, which is called Behold. It's about the Tour de France, but it's not about photography of the participants. It's about the people watching the tour because people line up uh, all over the, I forget how long this course is, it's uh, 2,000 miles or something ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but Laurent Cipriani has been photographing this project called Along the Road, where he just photographs 
bystanders watching. <laughs> this is this is a very funny photo. We I have a photo that. of a family, and there's a a guard over on the left, and a family over on the right with uh, two teenage <laughs> children, and one of the kids is wearing a mask and snorkel for no reason <laughs> because there's no water anywhere near the, and, the Tour de France. And what I assume is the mom. She's wearing two sunglasses. One she's wearing on her face. The other one's on her head. <laughs> this is a brilliant photo. Uh, this it. is a brilliant photo. I, this, I, I just too. love these stories. Yeah, this was a great photo as well. There's a woman whose uh, blonde hair is being blown into her face uh, and presumably maybe her child, maybe not her child, mm -hmm. kind of sitting in a ditch uh, waiting for people. And there's um, a there's field of wheat or whatever is behind it looking like her hair blowing totally. in the same direction. Uh, this to me is like very interesting, exciting photography. It is. And it's... I was thinking about it, and it, it's really reminiscent of Google Street View photographs. Ah. You know, like Doug Ricard or uh, John Raffman's Nine Eyes project. Except, yeah. you know, instead of scouring through Google Street View looking for these scenes, he was actually the car or the, the bike in this case. And he was able to get these on the street, zooming past moments that are just untouched, you know. Well, I wasn't going to get into this right now, and we'll, we'll try to keep our comments short, but yeah. since you brought up Google Street View, yeah. there are artists uh, who appropriate Google Street View uh, via basically curation to create art. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have done some video game photography. Uh -huh. How do you feel about this effective appropriation of images that you, quote, you didn't create as being part of the, 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 the landscape of photography. Uh, personally, and I'm, I may be biased in this, I don't, I don't see a problem with it at all. I think that it's, you know, you are, in my case, when I photographed in Grand Theft Auto, in the same way that I was making my own photos, I was paying homage to the designers who built the game. I was saying, you built this amazing landscape, these amazing scenes, look what I can do with it, and look at all these, what these people can do with it. And so is Street View. Street View is, like the world is, when you photograph on the street, you're curating the scenes that you see. You're cur curating the moments that you see. Any, anything, any photograph that you take is a curation of what's in front of the camera, of what you point your camera at. So this mm -hmm. is just another way of doing that. And it's an appropriation, but I don't think it's, I don't think that it's not photography. As many people have criticized <laughs> these works for. <laughs> I, I just think that, I, I think, you know, well, they're, they're not, exact analogs because clearly when you were in Grand Theft Auto you were looking for scenes when people curate Google images I mean they're looking for scenes but they didn't actually point the camera whereas with Lorentz images from Tour de France you see in my opinion how much better the images can be when you're sitting there waiting for stuff and you deliberately pick up the camera and you deliberately create a frame and you you know mm -hmm. there's no way that the, the types of images that we see here I mean, I wouldn't say no way, but it's it's highly unlikely that Google Street View would have come up with these moments the way that Laurent was able to do. My yeah, opinion. yeah, but there's we'll keep it short, but there's definitely a great uh, mood to the Google Street View ones too because they are grainy and because they are out of focus and all the faces are blurred out. There's mm -hmm. definitely something there too, and it's different, but it's and that's true. That's true. It has its own uh, uh, charm, I guess. Totally. Okay, I get it. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little old school, but I get it. That's yeah. Cool. 
Mr. Porter is the men's spinoff of Net-A-Porter, which is a high-end fashion uh, online e-tailer. Uh, and Mr. Porter, like many of the retailers, uh, creates an online magazine because there's got to be a reason for people to come to the site even when they're not shopping. Um, and they have profiled a lot of different photographers, but I came across uh, this uh, profile of Massimo Vitali, who's one of my favorite beach scene photographers. But actually, the funny story about my love of Vitali's photos is actually I was looking for uh, another photographer I, it was 15 years ago, and I went into a gallery, and I saw these images from, from Italy and the seaside, and I was like, these are amazing. And then I forgot who the photographer was. Mm -hmm. So I would Google periodically, like, Italy beach photographer, and Vitali always came up, and I was like, oh, these are nice. Yeah. And then a few years ago, I realized who the photographer was, and it was Greg Miller, uh, who lives in Connecticut, who we just interviewed for our film guide, mm -hmm. um, who, ha who did a great series of Italian beaches. But at any rate, this particular... Uh, series of photos and profile is about Vitali. And if you're not familiar with his work, first of all, the images from this story wow. of just his workspace are amazing. Yeah. So cool. Uh, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a deconsecrated church. So he's living in an old church and he's built out cool bookshelves and steel uh, platforms and staircases and whatnot. Um, but Vitali has these really cool uh, seascape beachside images um so here's one he likes to go to like parks and there's always a ton of people I, it's hard to believe that that beaches get this crowded because they don't get this crowded in hawaii or maybe i'm just making <laughs> it up um but it's cool it's, there's it's just really a quality cool. to it and and he likes this really desaturated kind of look it it reminds you of like the sunniest day in the world and mm -hmm. and uh, you know, all, a lot of this stuff is, is film and it just looks wonderful. Yeah, it makes for like an ethereal experience because um, he overexposes it a little bit, mm -hmm. but just enough to give it that extra, like this This is real, but it's it looks insane. You know, there's so many people, it can't quite, I mean, look at this photo in particular where everybody's on the rocks and people are jumping in the water and it's just, they look like little tiny figures. Um, and they're beautiful photographs. And I think in the in the article they were referencing, they mentioned um, Vitali's influence of the Dusseldorf School with uh, Thomas Struth being an mm -hmm. obvious reference. And you can totally tell this is the Thomas Truth of beaches. <laughs> and, it's, and it's beautiful. I think it's it's a great. They're really great romantic way. images. You just yeah. want to pack up your bag and go to Italy and go hang out in some rock pool or something. Mm -hmm. And he has some great insights about photography itself. And, you know, he says that he alludes his work or his process to finding the complexity of the thing in the scenes that, he's, that he sees. Um, and he also mentions that he hates when people call his work beautiful or ask him where was this taken because that completely misses the point of the work. Mm, and I think yeah. he's very learned about his work too. Uh, it sort of reminds me of Richard Miesrach's On the Beach, yeah. although he did that from from overhead positions. You know, the other thing that strikes me about Vitali's work is oftentimes, you know, when you when you see the, the newspaper photographer who goes up in the helicopter for the 4th of July and they pass over the beach and they do the shot, mm -hmm. there's a real tendency to pump the saturation because you want those pops of the red swimsuit and the beach ball and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of nice to see a desaturated, slightly overexposed photo. 
yeah. that ends up looking like white sand. I mean, the whole thing just reminds me of white sand. Mm -hmm. It looks Green more stuff. like what you would see if you're at the beach yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and you took your sunglasses off after, and you're like, whoa, yeah, exactly. it's right in here. <laughs> that exact moment. <laughs> uh, we, we, we pass a lot of animated, I say GIFs, but I know it's technically GIFs. We pass a lot of animated GIFs around in the office for fun. Mm -hmm. um, and there certainly is a history of animated GIFs being used for humor. Uh, but we have seen in the past few years the rise of what's known as the cinemagraph trademark. Um, and some people are actually using the animated GIF as a more serious art form, if you will. And Brandon Tausick, um has been over in Oakland, California and photographing barbershops there and creating these really interesting animated GIFs of the barbers, um, black barbers cutting their uh, customer's hair. Mm-hmm. And there's a very, because they're looped and they're in slow motion or they appear to be at slowed down a little bit. Yeah. There's a very meditative quality to it. And it makes you wonder why more people aren't experimenting with these, you know, what I've seen referred to as a slow portrait or the animated portrait. Super interesting. What's your, what's your academic take <laughs> on this stuff? My academic take. I, I think they're beautiful. I think that they, they provide you know, a quiet intimacy to this, to these scenes, you know, but which you would normally expect to be very loud and very fun and crazy and fast and moving and all that. But these are little moments. And I mean, it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of Harry Potter photos, but there's um, mm. no way that they move and look at you sometimes. Uh, but they're, they're beautifully shot. And it, I don't know, they're very interesting. Um, and he is, I think he mentioned in the article that he is an outsider. You know, he's going to these, um, I think, mostly black neighborhoods and African-American uh, barbershops. And he's um, he's a white, shy guy who comes in with like 15 people and just, they're all looking at him like, why, why is he here? You know, he's not supposed to be here. Uh, but he talks to them and he tells them what he wants to do. And the, the results are beautiful. I mean, that photo that we're looking at on the right of, the older man with the light just hitting his hand and all the stacked books behind him. But that's only totally his... Dumbledore. That's your that's, Harry Potter guy right that's there. My Harry Potter guy right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are really, it really is a hybrid between a still image and video. Mm -hmm. um, in, and, and successful in a way that those two styles of photography aren't. Like, I really like... I really, th these are very resonant for me and makes me want to try them, although I don't think I have the patience to actually do it, but, but, but they're so, there's, there's there's, they are hypnotic. There's apps for it. There's just one app thing called Cinemagraph where you can do that mm -hmm. really quickly, so you can try it out there. Um, it's, it's pretty fun, and this is a new way, and this, I mean, barbershops have been photographed in numerous amount of times, or numerous yeah. amount of times, um, and this is a, an interesting new approach to it, definitely. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, we talked about the Brandon Stanton Honey uh, kid, the gay, as we're calling him, the gay schoolboy. Um, and uh, I wrote a, an opinion piece on the blog at blog.photoshelter uh, about it. And one of the things that I referenced at the end was Gabriella Herman's project called The Kids. And I said about it that if Stanton was 
uh, a really great photographer and he took a journalistic approach to it, he would come up with this project. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason why Gabriella did it was uh, her mom was gay and she was sort of in denial about it uh, and wouldn't talk to her mom for, for a while. And at some, at some point just came to terms with it and then sought out other children of LBGT uh, parents and came up with this incredible set of images and stories that have a lot more context around them. She includes yeah. the audio file. She's got, it's not one sentence. She's not trying to be provocative with, you know, a soundbite. She's mm -hmm. trying to tell a story. And the photos are lovely. They are. This yeah. is at thekids.gabriellaherman.com. This is one of my, I love, you know, the reflection in the window and mm -hmm. whatnot. Did any of these images really resonate with you here? They did. They really did. And they did because they're not, they're not as in your face about it as um, Honey that we were talking about. I, I really mm -hmm. like this photo in particular. Um, there's a lot about this that interests me. You know, his mom, so this is, this is interesting where his, his mom's plural split up because his biological mom fell in love with a man. That's, I think, the reversal of what the initial yeah. images were about. And um, it, it's interesting that the photographer put him in a corner, you know, with both sides leading different places. And you can you can read a lot into this. And it, right. It's a great project, and it's, it gives, it's a responsible project, and it's a, an educated and intellectual, and it's, you know, it's a sensitive topic, but she approaches it in a really... Like, well, like a really great manner. It's interesting, Fernando, that this photo resonated with you with the kind of light side and the dark side in the corner because mm -hmm. I'm looking at the background that you're on right now <laughs> um, and you kind of set it up yourself. I don't know if you noticed that. I did not. I was like, that's kind of that's kind of a cool configuration you got going on there. <laughs> uh, you definitely, if you're listening to the audio podcast, you definitely have to go look at the video of YouTube. So it's you can all see part what of the plan. About. All part of the plan. Uh, by the way, all of the photos that we're looking at today, you can find links to them on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. We definitely encourage you to check out the work here. But Gabriella, you know, we've, we've mentioned her before for her Rodeo Queens uh, essay, and this is just really fantastic stuff. So congratulations to her. Yeah. She was also featured on the Lens blog. I love seeing young photographers do their thing. And Petra Collins is someone who we've talked about before. She's a good friend of uh, Tabby Gevinson, who was, you know, the, the teen blogger, rookie.com. Uh, and she has a new book out called Babe. And in looking at these photos and being familiar with her work over the past couple of years and reading this uh, essay, you know what I'm, I'm starting to realize? And this is going to be a really arrogant statement. She's less a photographer and more of a social commentator through photography, if you, hmm. if you can understand my distinction, because her photos aren't that good. I mean, they're not, they're, not good in a, they're not good in a technical sense. Let me say it that way. Her photos are not good in a technical sense. She has access to things, and she has a way of capturing life that I think is fairly unique to her. But I'm never blown away by her photography, I'm more blown away by what she's saying with her photography. If that, is that, is, 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 am I talking about one and the same thing? I, I, think, I, I, think, I think that you are because I, I don't think that those are mutually exclusive things. Mm. I think that photography is a, is a way, is a tool for the conversation. 
and um, technical aspects aside, that's I think that's already subjective. You know, what is or what isn't a good photo is completely. I think it begins to be completely irrelevant. Um, and what the photo says and how it reacts and how it causes a reaction, those things are start to become more important, especially when there are these kinds of photos. My biggest fear in life is aging, Fernando. I don't know if you know this. And uh, <laughs> I'm scared that I'm sounding like, you know, an old crotchety guy who's like, wow, the, the camera she's using isn't very sharp. And what is she trying to say? And then, you know, the young kid out of school is like, mm -hmm. well, actually, you're talking about the same thing. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> But I'm, so, I'm also thanks. at risk of sounding. <laughs> yeah, like the millennial. Yeah, like the millennial. <laughs> well, listen, you know, she 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 is definitely saying here here's a girl, and I had to look at it again. But there's a a girl here on the left, who mm -hmm. is that a tampon she's throwing into the trash can? Or a dead rat? But I think it's a tampon. Um. Yeah. So I mean, and and she's got kind of like cut out photos and a lot of stuff she's she's still a, a big film user uh which i've known for several years and so there's this great film mm -hmm. quality to them almost to the point like you know it's not like she's going into a very good lab and developing the stuff she's clearly taking it to like cvs where the developer um is old and whatnot and you get this already a very nostalgic look to some of the photos because of the yeah. just even the processing mm -hmm. which is interesting well, that's a new book, babe. So if you want to check it out, uh, you know, she's done essays for New York Magazine and uh, she had a big Instagram controversy uh, a year or two ago when Instagram censored a photo because her pubic hair was coming out of her uh, either swimsuit or underwear. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a huge essay about how crazy and sexist it was because what did it even, what did it even matter? Right. Um, so... I'm all good. I'm good with Petra Collins. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we always like to end on a fun note. And this photo, <laughs> you know, you said that you love Cartier-Bresson. And of, of course, Bresson was all about the decisive moment. And I've, I've rarely seen such an honest, decisive moment wedding photo because so much of wedding photography is staged and posed to, you know, to be curated to look like the most wonderful day. Yeah. But here's a situation where the photographer... Chase Richardson fell. He slipped at a wedding and on his way down, <laughs> he hit the shutter button and everybody in the wedding party uh, has looks of, uh, oh my God, except for, <laughs> except except for that for one in the back. <laughs> I love that's my favorite part of it. She's still, still smiling. <laughs> Either didn't see it or was like, I just, I'm going to keep the smile on. <laughs> I put it uh, on. I can't take it back. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, you know, if this was the only photo I got out of my wedding, I'd be really happy. This is a great, <laughs> funny photo. It's wonderful, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chase Richardson, I, I, you know, I have to admit I didn't actually go look at his other photography. Um, it, it looks very clear, and he knows how to tone black and white, so I assume he's a, a good photographer. But this is a brilliant, brilliant, decisive moment mm -hmm. uh, photo, if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Well, Fernando, you survived the uh, the first encounter with I Love Photography. How are you feeling? Feeling great. Yeah? You want yeah. to do it again sometime? Most definitely. Ah, sounds good. Let's do it. I love talking uh, about <laughs> If you ever have anything that you want us to talk about on the show, you can always 
tweet at us with hashtag photoshelter or hashtag ILP, which stands for Isla Photography. Everything we've talked about today will be on the blog at blog.photoshelter.com in a few hours. Mm -hmm. And you can always watch the video and listen to the audio podcast if you can't get enough of our sexy voices. Uh, but for Fernando Gomez, this is Alan Murabayashi. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank on you. I love photography. Bye bye. <laughs>